0: Well, it's said in polite society that there are three things you must never talk about. At least this is supposedly what some British people say. What are the three things you're not supposed to talk about? What is it? Uh, (laughs) Politics, religion, and money. Yes. Now, I think us Christians actually want to talk about all of those things, so I'm going to break that rule with abandon this morning. Um, Why is it that uh, polite... Stiff upper lip people don't want to talk about those things. I guess it's because of conflict, isn't it? It's nerve-wracking when you come to talk about some of those things, perhaps. And money can be an area of conflict. Money certainly has been a big issue in the last year, hasn't it? I believe the statistics tell us that the economic decline that we've had in the last year is the biggest of the last 300 years. A 300 years which has included two world wars and a Great Depression. It's pretty significant, isn't it? I'm told that the government job retention scheme has supported 11.5 million people through 1.3 million different employers to the tune of £64 billion. Pounds. Uh, the government certainly got to work helping us in a time that has been tough uh, for money. But it, money is this issue, isn't it? It's an issue of need. It's an issue of greed and an issue of conflict, isn't it? And this morning, we want to ask, what does the Bible say to us at this point where some of us, some of us, if we're honest, we might be better off at the moment. Actually, this last couple of years has meant we haven't spent on things we might have done. And so we've got a bit more money in our pockets than we were expecting to. But for others of us, actually, money will be tighter. And this time has been really hard. What does the Bible say to us on this question of money, is it to be an area of conflict, or is it, in fact, as the Bible teaches, to be an area of joy? Well, as we seek to look at this, come with me to the church in Philippi. Come with me to the church in Philippi. The, the church in Philippi is a church that knew a lot about money and a lot about conflict. Uh, Philippi was an a, a economically significant place in the region of Macedonia, it was a wealthy place, but it was also a place full of conflict. Paul's visit there to proclaim the gospel and to start the church, um, well, his visit didn't last very long. He freed a slave who was, being, uh, who was demon-possessed and lived a life of fortune-telling, and he ended up in jail for that, for upsetting someone's money-making scheme. And not long after that, this was the regular experience, I think, of the church in Philippi. There are churches, we read this letter, that we discover that are frequently locked down, thrown into jail, and experienced loss of livelihood. They're a persecuted church. Here, we're going to learn from a lockdown church. And we'll see them setting us an example and a model. But also, this this letter we have before us, it's not just a letter to a lockdown church. It's a letter from a lockdown pastor as well. You see, Paul here writes this letter from jail. He's uh, Far from his friends, he is locked down. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He, he might die. He, he thinks he won't. He thinks he'll be released, but he doesn't know. And so here is a lockdown letter to a lockdown church from a lockdown pastor. But why is it written? Because Paul has received a gift. The lockdown pastor has received a gift from the lockdown church. And so this letter is a thank you letter. Paul writes to this church, he says, thank you for your gift. I might be able to come and see you and tell you that myself. I might not, but whatever happens, make sure you live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus. Stand firm, be of one mind. Keep standing firm in persecution. Keep keep going, even though you suffer suffer opposition. Keep obeying, keep working, keep imitating, keep rejoicing. And at the end of this letter, in chapter 4, where we are this morning, he returns to this gift. And it's here, I think, in chapter 4, that we're going to see that finance, money, giving, it doesn't have to be an area of greed and conflict. No, in fact, it can be an area of great joy. Notice how Paul begins this passage in verse 10. Look at this. He writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity. I rejoiced. Do you hear that? Here is Paul and he is rejoicing. Here's a passage of the Bible where if we get nothing else from it, we should get this morning joy. Paul rejoices. And what does he rejoice in? That they've revived their concern, that they sent him a gift. He's rejoicing, and notice, greatly in the Lord. This is big rejoicing. This isn't British rejoicing. This is actual big rejoicing here, okay? Now, let's see this joy then in this passage. We've got five things. Here's the first one in verse 10. There's joy in giving, friends, because it shows concern. There's joy in giving, it shows concern. Uh, Look at verse 10 again. Now, at some length and after some period of time, this church um, have renewed or revived their concern for Paul. Now, you or I reading this wording, we think, oh, you know, oh, now at last you've revived your concern for me. It sounds like Paul's kind of chiding them. It sounds like he's kind of, oh, come on, thank you. You know, you did it at last. (laughs) But that's actually not right at all. The key is in this word revive, which we miss so easily. It's a word which in the original languages is a word about a flower coming into bloom. See, here is a lockdown church struggling But they've always been concerned for Paul. It's just now, now that they've had the opportunity, they've sent a gift to Paul, and it's like it's flowered. It's like that beautiful flower is now in full bloom. It's beautiful. It's stunning. It's like that surprise gift when someone knocks on your door and says, I heard you were having a rough time. Here's a bouquet of yellow flowers. And you go, wow. Joy. It demonstrates real concern, doesn't it? Real love, real care, real affection. We don't know what the gift is. It's probably money. But notice the emphasis in the passage. It's about this concern. There's joy in the fact that the Philippians were concerned. Now, what's their concern in? Is it it a birthday present for Paul? Is it some sort of way of just staying in touch or, or meeting some expectation? No. We know wonderfully from the letter to to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians that, that Paul had been funded to go to Philippi. Someone had paid for his ministry. And so Philippi want to give money to Paul to fund him to take the good news on. They've revived their concern. They are saying, Paul, we want you to take the good news of Jesus further. Go for it. Here's some money, come on, go. We want to support you in jail, and where can you get
1: out, go for it, Paul.
0: Isn't that amazing? From a church that is suffering persecution? I mean, it's amazing, frankly, sometimes. We're so selfish as human beings, so self-interested, isn't it? It's so amazing when any of us, I think, show concern for another person. But how much more amazing is it here that these people show concern for the life-changing Life-saving message of Jesus. I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit must really be at work in their lives, mustn't it? If they are giving like this and for this. So Paul rejoices. This is a wonderful spine-tingling moment. Paul is rejoicing in the Lord for this church and for these people. So Christian, do you see what the response should be for us today? If we are giving to the cause of Christ, we this morning should be rejoicing. And friends, I know that that is a great deal of the people in this room. You should feel that joy welling up inside you. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord when you revived your concern for me. Paul rejoices in that behavior. And so if that's you, be full of joy. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, gosh, wow, this sounds great what the Philippians are doing. I just don't, I mean, I think I'd love to give like that. That sounds wonderful, but I I wouldn't know how to. I, I wouldn't know how to begin. Well, look at what this church does. When they had the opportunity, they just gave. You know, actually, that's been the tradition of the church down through the ages. That through time, whenever Christians have received some income an inheritance perhaps, a a bonus, a surprising gift. Christians have been in the habit of wanting to say, I'm just going to give away. I'm just going to give to the Lord. Before I take anything, I want to recognise how much he's given to me, and so I want to give away. Christians have often taken a practice from the Old Testament known as as tithing, uh, where you say, okay, I'm going to just give 10% away to the cause of Christ, to the Lord. Why 10%? I don't know. I suppose it's as good as any number to, to start. And is that something to get fixated on? No, I don't think so. Some of us will find 10% very hard. Some of us will find 10% very easy, maybe, or <laughs> achievable anyway. And my sense is actually as soon as you start thinking like that and thinking about that, actually it just becomes a thought where you go, actually the numbers really aren't the main thing here, are they? Christ has given me everything. Actually, I want to give all that I am for him. It's a joy to give because it shows our real concern for Christ. Our real concern for him. And and I was thinking about this, a little thought experiment. Imagine 10 of us decided we would take a deep breath and we would give 10% of our gross income. So this is the money that we receive plus the taxes that often we don't see. Let's say our 10% of all that we gave. Of all that we receive, because we benefit from our taxes, don't we, from the NHS and things. Let's say we decide to give 10% of our gross income away. Well, 10 of us could support one pastor, I suppose, on the average salary of those 10 people. A church of 100 people could support 10 pastors, and assuming they had no other costs, could just go, let's go and plant nine churches of 10 people. Wouldn't that be incredible. All right. Sounds pretty mad, though doesn 't it? But, but, but this is the thought behind Philippi here: they are bankrolling gospel ministry. They are saying we want this good news message of the Lord Jesus to get out. Now giving, of course, is more than financial, isn't it? We have so many good things, and money's just one part of it, isn't it? We have musical abilities, hospitality hospitality gifts, time the ability to offer the word of God to one another, read the Bible with one another, to pray with each other, that freedom to just to pick up things that might get lost. Giving, of course, is is more than financial. Of course, it's not less than that either, is it? But notice the thing here for Paul. Giving can be an area of joy. Why? Because it's a place where we can show our concern for Christ. And my prayer for us this morning is, and actually, we think in those terms, here's an area where I can just give praise to God. And I'm thrilled that that's many of you here. And so please go away absolutely full of joy this morning, friends. Please do. Well, I hear you saying, some are, some are still looking at this passage going, but it still sounds like Paul is twisting my arm. You revived your concern. It still sounds a bit like that. Well, look what Paul says next, and here's uh, here's number two. There's joy in giving, but it's not about meeting needs. There's joy in giving, but it's not about meeting needs. Look at verse 11. Paul's just said, I rejoice that you revived your, your concern, yes, but not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, look, this isn't about manipulation. This actually isn't about need at all. He says, I'm not even, I'm not even really thinking about that. I'm content, you see. Your gift was good news for me but not because it met a need. It wasn't something I was desperate for and then overflowed with relief when it arrived. He says, no, I've actually, I've learned the secret of being content in any situation. We know actually, don't we, that money really doesn't offer a lot by way of contentment, does it? I think we all know this intuitively. You can have more money and then take it for granted very quickly, can't you? For many years I worked um, in the financial district of London and I worked with some of the richest people I think in the country um, and I remember meeting people who were, had so much and yet were still upset that they weren't on the Times top 100 rich list. They still weren't content. I met people who would go to a client presentation and would claim on expenses for the Mars bar they bought in the vending machine on the way to the meeting. And these people have, you know, huge estates all over the country. You know, it's, you can have money <laughs> and you can still be greedy and you can still be lacking in contentment. And we know that, don't we? But Paul says, look here, doesn't he? This wasn't about meeting need. This wasn't about meeting need. You're, you're not twisting my arm. I, I've learned to live with plenty. I've been in the position of those people. The wealthy people. And I've been in the position of begging for my bread, basically. I've had lots and I've had little. But I know how to abound in all those situations. I've learned the secret of contentment. If I have Christ, I have all I'll ever need. If I have him, I don't want for anything else. So there's joy in giving. But it's not about meeting my deepest need. Because my deepest contentment is set on Christ. And so here's the wonderful thing for the church. We can give not out of a sense of feeling like we need, there's there's a need there, (laughs) and that I need to do it. In fact, money is this wonderful area where we can say, I don't need it. If I have Christ, I, I can give it away. I can give sensibly within my means, and I can say, Lord, this isn't the most important thing to me. And I can experience a freedom and a joy in that. You see, Paul here knew that if he wasn't supported, he would just go and make tents. He would just get on with it. And, you know, actually, I mean, I'm sort of getting myself into trouble here. But the same is kind of true with church pastors, actually, as well. (laughs) So church elders are office holders. And uh, church elders are recognized. So they've got a job that they're doing. But they're, they're recognized for it. So they'll keep doing it. Maybe not as well, maybe not without as much stress, even if they're not paid to do it, because they're simply recognized to do that job. Um, if a church pastor were not to be funded by a church, well, they'd find some other way of using their teaching gifts and, and caring and, and ministering in prayer. You see, there's joy in giving, but it's not about meeting needs. Isn't that wonderful? It's all about giving from the heart. For Christians, giving and finance doesn't have to be a battleground. It can be an area of joy. There's no arm that needs twisting, because my contentment isn't in money. It's not there. It's something that I can use to serve Christ. It doesn't have to be something I'm a slave to. So it's a joy to give. And I hope for some of you you feel that a great relief. I know for some here this morning, this might be a moment of reflection, actually, where you go, actually, if I'm honest, I've been giving out of a sense of guilt. I've been giving out of a sense of this is something that I, I need to do and that I must do and so on. And if that's you, then please take the moment to see that this is to be an area of joy. Maybe take a moment to reflect on these things and go away and talk it over with someone. Actually, I'm finding it a struggle to give because I'm finding my contentment there. And I don't want my contentment to be there. I want Christ to be my all in all. So take this whole area. If you're feeling that sense of guilt and anxiety in your heart, take that to the Lord uh, in prayer. Please do that. But there's more. Number three. There is joy in giving because it's partnership. There's joy in giving because it's partnership. Look at verses 14 and 16. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul's still rejoicing, isn't he? Rejoicing. It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my need once again. Paul keeps rejoicing. He says, you 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 church in Philippi, you've just been brilliant. You've been so kind to me. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, and Thessalonica was a a famous church. It was a church that was being gossiped about. They were doing great stuff. They were a really good church. Read the letter, you'll find out. Um, Even when Paul was there, the Philippians kept supporting him, kept, kept partnering with him there And so for Paul, this is huge joy. You're a partner with me in this ministry. There's joy in it. It's it's not a loose arrangement. It's a real fellowship and a real partnership. And as you read this letter to the church in Philippi, you find this idea of partnership. It's not just partnership, but it's this idea of citizenship in heaven, that they are fellow citizens. This would have been a big idea for the church in Philippi. They were this kind of city-state, very proud of being Roman that if the Romans called on them, they'd they'd come together. And so they'd get their shields. You know, If there was a battle, they'd get their shields, and their shields would be interlocked, and they would march out against any foe against Rome. They were Rome, they were citizens of Rome, and they'd march out, and any, any spear wouldn't be able to get past. They were one for Rome, and they were proud of that. But here, Paul says, I'm rejoicing, because even though you're citizens of Philippi, even though you might pay your taxes to Rome, even though you might pay for the NHS and the Department for Culture and Media and Sport and the Office for National Statistics, even though your passport in your drawer at home is red and says United Kingdom of Great Britain on it, even though you have one of those, that is not the biggest thing for you. You see, your taxes might go to support the Conservative-led administration, but you're all in all is in citizenship in heaven. That is where your partnership is. You see, you you, you might be living in Philippi, but you say that your citizenship belongs in heaven. And your allegiance is to the embassy of the local church. And so you want to give that more might be issued passports for the kingdom of heaven. Your joy is that you would bankroll that and fund that. But more and more passports might be issued for the kingdom of heaven. I, um, I went to a registry office uh, some years ago when our, our eldest, Henry, was born. And I was really excited to be there, getting a birth certificate for a child. I thought this was amazing, even though it was boring paperwork. As I got to Hounslow Registry Office, there was a huge hubbub outside the registry office. And I got someone to take my photo with these... Papers. Turned out the guy who was there, who was really happy to be there, was an Afghani uh, refugee. Been living in the UK for six years. And this big group outside the registry office were thrilled and so excited because it was the day of their passport issuing ceremony. This was the day when they got passports. And I love the thought that here was Henry sort of born into the United Kingdom and here were people being adopted and brought in You see, this is the partnership. What joy there was in that cloudy day in Hounslow, outside the registry office. What joy there is in heaven when passports are issued for that kingdom. There is joy in giving because we are partnering in that work.
1: That joy needs to rub off on us, doesn't it? Joy in giving. It's
0: partnership in the citizenship of heaven. Number four. There's joy in giving, friends, even more, because it's to your credit. It's to our credit. We often think, don't we, that giving, well, the person who gains the most is the person who receives the gift. But Paul says, no, it's the other way around here. Paul says, look, I wasn't interested in the, particularly in the gift that you had to send me. No, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul says here, look, I'm well supplied at the moment. You sent me a gift, that's brilliant. But you know, I wasn't seeking that. I was seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. I was wanting your bank account to improve and not mine. There's joy for him that, Things are happening to their credit. Now, why, he, why is he full of all this joy? Well, notice the word there. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, this gift, it doesn't represent most of all that blessing to Paul, though it is that. What it represents the most is the heart of the Philippians. It represents the fact that their lives really have been changed by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They've been persevering in, in times of persecution, and they've been giving too. This is a harvest, a harvest of fruit to their account. When you have a harvest, who's the fruit for? Whose bank account does it improve? Well, it improves yours, doesn't
1: it? It's of most benefit to the Philippians.
0: It's to your credit when you give. And in Paul's language, it's a pleasing offering to God. It's a fruit that is this pleasing sacrifice to him. In other words, in Paul's language, God loves it when we give. He loves it. Our Father who made us and loved us loves it when we give to him. Now, who gets blessed out of that? Does Paul get blessed out of that? No. Not, nowhere near as much as they do. To experience the love of the God who loved you and made you. That's amazing. Think of the moment when we stand before the Lord and it comes to see what we've done with the good news that we've received. What joy there will be when it's seen what we've given to him and that our hearts have been for him. In the end, actually, all that we've got is actually from him and for him, isn't it? In the end. A child makes a present for their parent for Christmas. And they make a card. Who gave them the card? Mum and Dad did. They write a message on the card. Where'd they get the felt tip pen from? Where'd they get the paint from? Mum and Dad. They put sprinkles and glitter and glue and cellar tape and they write on there. Who taught them to
1: write? Mum and Dad.
0: Here's a gift. And it brings joy to the Father. Even though he had given them all those things, it still brings him great joy. When we give, do you see, it's to our credit? Because it fills our Father's heart with joy. Given that, how sad it is, isn't it? That how sad, do you see how sad stinginess is? But do you see how joyous generosity is? It brings joy to the Father who made us and loved us and sent Jesus for us before the world began. It's a joy. It's a joy. We love to give. He loves it when we give. And what a day it will be when we enjoy his embrace. Well, lastly, is God just pleased that we sort of um, give and give and give? And is there the thought here that we're just to wither away to nothing? (laughs) Well, no, look at the last point. There's joy in giving because God's riches supply our needs. God's riches supply our needs. Look at Paul's conviction as he brings his letter to a close. He writes this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See what he's saying there? God will supply our every need. And where will that supply come from? It comes according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. And we've seen in this letter, haven't we, that contentment will never be found in, in finances and money and materials. We'll always tell ourselves we need more of those things. But the only thing, the only person we need most of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, well, from him and through him and from his ascended resurrection glory, Paul tells us he will supply what we really need. He who has conquered death, he who is the name above every name, he before whom all will one day bow, he who commands the stars and the seas, who's the heir of all things, from his limitless resources, he will lavishly supply our need. In a manner befitting the scale and magnitude of his wealth, in a manner worthy of his glory, he will supply to you and me.
1: What an astonishing thought that is! So, friends, we can we can sacrifice our time and our
0: talents and our monies for what they're worth. We can freely give according to our means. We can give generously. And if the one thing that holds us back is that sense of being in need, what do you see here? The wealthiest man in the whole of the universe, who gives us the thing that we need the most—resurrected life and glory has promised to supply everything we need. That may mean for some time we'll be short on funds. That may mean we have to live tightly for times. (laughs) But he'll supply comprehensively for our good, without a shadow of a doubt, from the riches of
1: his glory. What a thought that is. So do you see, as we come out of this lockdown
0: In a variety of financial states, money doesn't have to be the thing that dominates us. For some of us, it will be a thing where we're in need of money regularly, and it'll be a struggle. But see here that there can be joy found, and there can be joy found in us serving one another in that respect and looking out for each other. Money doesn't have to be an area of greed or conflict or power struggle. In fact, giving money away to the cause of Christ... (laughs) can become a thing of great joy. So I pray that as we go from here, our hearts and our hands, our time, our talents, our technology, our ices, our mortgages, our savings plans, our cash in our wallets, might be given over to the Lord to say, Lord, you're in charge of this. You've given it. And I want to use this for the joy set before me. I give to you. I hope you've seen today too, if you're here this morning listening and just looking in on these things, what are these Christians like? I hope you've seen today how money can be such a slavish thing. But I hope you've seen too that it can only be put in its place by finding, finding a surpassing joy somewhere, somewhere else or in someone else. The love of money can only be lost when we know the ultimate giver the ultimate giver of the ultimate sacrifice, dying in our place, taking our punishment to give us eternal life and joy with the Father. Friend, only if you know a joy that big can you freely give and can the love of money be lost. Brothers and sisters, I I hope and, and pray that we'll know the joy of giving, that as we give, we'll see that it shows our true concern and we'll just be thrilled at that. I hope we'll see that it's not about meeting needs. And so therefore we can feel a freedom. I hope we can see it as a partnership in the kingdom of heaven. Something that lasts for eternity. I hope we can see that it is something that actually works to our credit and to our good. And I hope we can see in and through this that the Lord supplies for us. And so we can rely on him no matter what is ahead. Giving
1: is a joy. I don't know about you.
0: I don't know where you're at. I don't know how much you are able to give and how big a place that has in your Christian life. Some of us, as I say, it will be smaller. Some of us, it will be bigger. And the money, the amounts aren't what matters. (laughs) It's not what matters. It's that we're giving to him and saying, Lord,
1: I would honour you first and foremost. Giving is a joy. And I, for one, wouldn't want anyone to miss out on that. Shall we pray?
0: Our Father in heaven, we so long that money would not dominate our thinking. Father, for those of us who are finding it really hard at the moment, Father, help us to trust you to meet our need Help us not to be too stressed about how things are going. And help us, Father, to be a church that serves one another in this, in this area. And Father, if we're those who feel that we can give, Father, give us a great freedom in that. And Father, might we rejoice in the fact that actually you've been at work in our lives and we're giving from the heart? Father, I ask that there might be a joy amongst us where actually if we if we're giving from our wallets, that's fine but now we long to give with all our lives and with all that we have. So Father, I ask that we wouldn't be big givers in the wallet and small givers in person. I ask that we would be consistent givers in all our life because of the great gift you have given us in Christ Jesus. And might he receive all the glory and all the praise for all time and in all places from this time forth and forevermore.
1: Amen.